0: Hello, I'm Steve, the retired criminal investigator with the Office of Special Investigations, the Air Force's Federal Law Enforcement Agency.
1: I'm Hannah, his daughter, the amateur true crime enthusiast. I have always been fascinated with my dad's job, and I love starting conversations with him to learn more. Join us each week as we share these conversations with you and discuss a real criminal case that piques our interest. <laughs> Welcome back to True Crime Archives. So this week we have another little bit of a doozy for you. This is going to be a long one. There's a lot of information, a lot of back and forth. Dad, you and I both have a little bit, some different things that we found. There's mm-hmm. so much on this case, just like yep. the Girl Scouts one. So this is about Maria Riedulf, which up until recently, oh, it's still been like the oldest cold case that i've been able to find so on december 3rd 1957 maria ridulf is seven years old living in sycamore illinois also my apologies if i am pronouncing that wrong someone please correct me am i do you think i'm pronouncing it R- riddle maria
0: riddle i guess riddle riddle
1: okay <laughs> if we're pronouncing that incorrectly very sorry she is the youngest of four children she has two sisters and a brother And on December 3rd, she is outside playing with her friend and neighbor, Kathy Sigmund, who is eight years old at the time. Uh, At around 630, Sigmund recalls a man who told them his name was Johnny coming up to them, asking if they had dolls in exchange for a piggyback ride. This is that's all going to change a little bit. This is just her initial telling of it. Maria goes to get one and accepts a piggyback ride from this man named Johnny. Kathy says she goes inside to get some gloves because it was a little cold and when she came back out Maria and Johnny were gone. After uh, looking around for her a little bit they end up finding the doll that Maria had brought to him discarded by a garage and a neighbor remembers hearing a little girl screaming. Five months later her remains were found about a hundred miles away from her home in Woodbine, Illinois. Illinois, sorry. (laughs) So like I said this is Was known as the oldest cold case to be solved uh, until in September 2012, uh, Jack McCullough was arrested and charged with the murder. At the time of the murder in 1957, his name was actually John Tessier. He had been the neighbor of the one of the neighbors and actually just lived right down the street and had known them for a while. At the time, he was questioned and had an airtight alibi, so the police, you know, at that time didn't really... Think much they,
0: they took him off the list. They right. actually took him off the list. So when they did the first photo, when they were showing uh, photos, they didn't even have his picture in there,
1: right? It's crazy. And then in March of 2016, uh, a post conviction. So, like I mentioned in 2012, he was arrested and charged. So, and then in 2016, a post conviction review of available evidence showed he could not have been present at the place and time of the abduction. McCullough was released from prison on April 15th, 2016, and then a week later, charges were dismissed. So that is a quick summary of everything we have. We're going to dive deeper into all of it and the timeline because the timelines are going to change a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. So let's go a little bit deeper into the night. So December 3rd is when she goes missing. So they go outside around 6 o'clock. Right. Mm -hmm. It's her and Kathy. It's snowing. They want to go outside and play in the snow. They're excited. So they go outside around 6 p.m. um, And there are a lot of witness testimony that say they remember seeing the girls playing alone outside until about 615, 620. So they're going to testify and talk to the police and tell them that that's actually when they saw the girls playing alone. Right. At around that time, there's going to be more witness testimony that say they saw the girls playing with a man. So around like 615, 620.
0: Yeah, there were, I just double checked. There was about 20. Twenty witnesses. There's about 20 witnesses.
1: Yeah, which is a lot of people. Mm-hmm. That's you would think that's a lot of witnesses. Mm-hmm. So they say that they saw the girls playing with a man around 615, 620. Now, six thirty six forty five is when Maria goes inside to get the doll. Well, from what I was reading, he actually gave her a piggyback ride first, and then he asked her, he asked both girls if they like playing with dolls, if they have dolls. Dollies. He's, dollies, What yeah. are you saying?
0: Do you, do you like I dollies? D- <laughs> it's w- right. didn't want to say that word. <laughs> it goes back and forth. It's really sad. Right. Hey, do you have dollies? Like, you could just hear this creeper. Hey, yeah. do you have, do you like dollies? Do you have dollies? Well, 1957, the girls, yeah.
1: 1957 version of, I have yeah. candy. So she goes inside to get a doll. after Ma- Maria she gets, goes inside. Maria Maria goes inside. Yes. She comes a- after back after the
0: piggyback or before the piggyback. Or we're not really sure.
1: My like deeper reading, like going more in depth. My understanding was that she did actually get the piggyback ride first. first yep. And then that's, go inside. That's get what the I doll, think so too. Right? Okay. And then she comes back outside and Kathy then goes inside to get some gloves because she's cold, which I thought was interesting because Maria went inside first. Right, and so Maria left this Johnny and Kathy alone, and he.
0: I I think Kathy testified when she was younger that uh, in 1957 that he maybe touched her on the arm or the thigh, and she kind of pulled away and was uncomfortable with that. So it's it's because I know what the question you're going to ask: Why didn't he just kidnap her? Right. He he might have identified Maria as the more vulnerable one perhaps uh, it, maybe it seemed like mm-hmm. maybe it seemed like Kathy was going to be a little bit more feisty and cause problems for him if and he was fight, to, yeah. to grab one of them or or it was a last minute decision that he, that he made
1: yeah I d- and I also i didn't read that Kathy said anywhere that she accepted a piggyback ride also i only read that it was maria so that i guess that yeah that makes sense so Kathy goes inside to get her gloves because it's cold snowing and then she comes back outside, and she does not see Maria or this Johnny person. They are gone between six forty five and seven. She goes to maria's parents' house and she tells them that she can't find maria her Maria's mom thinks that she's oh I'm just like hiding playing hide and seek whatever so she sends Maria this is at seven o'clock this is a r- it, like in between six forty five right. seven this is around right that
0: time. so and w- we believe between six thirty six forty five is when they go back and forth into each other's house, so that 15 minutes will become important, but not necessarily I- important. Yeah. So
1: Everything happens kind of quick. Mm-hmm. So Maria's mom sends her brother outside to look for Maria to help Kathy look for her. So they're looking. And at 7 o'clock, this is when a neighbor will later testify and tell police that they actually heard a little girl scream. Now, in everything that I've read, I, c- I can't find anywhere that it says... That the parents heard the scream, or that Kathy and the brother heard the scream. No, it's only neighbor. the neighbor. Right. Yes, one witness. So I, I'm curious as to how far away that neighbor mm-hmm. was. So that's happening, and then the police are not called until around about eight ten p.m.
0: Right. So they're kind of looking. The, looking the, the brother is thinking that she's hiding, and the mother's mm-hmm. thinking that hey, go out and look, so that they're looking for her
1: which i think i mean is pretty reasonable especially in 1957 they think the kids are just playing hide and seek mm-hmm. or whatever i i can mm-hmm. understand that and then at 9:30 p.m. so another hour later uh the doll is found
0: uh, near right neighbor's this is garage. now the police are involved and there's some sort of search going mm-hmm. on now
1: right so now the doll is found and that's a little it's a little scary okay then they just keep searching it kind of goes a little bit nowhere they canvassed the neighborhood they talked to neighbors mm-hmm. they talked to everyone and like we mentioned earlier so john jack mccullough he was a neighbor so his family's door was knocked on that night mm-hmm. and they talked to them and he was a little bit suspicious i think because the mom or n- not at first because the mom said that he was home or something like that mm-hmm. so there wasn't suspicion on him at in the beginning right so about five months later, it's going to be April 26, 1958, her body is found, so Maria's body is found by some mushroom hunters. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was concealed.
0: They were on a private private farm or something, private land, searching for mushrooms, and they came across the body.
1: Right. Some of her clothes were with her, some were not. I read that her body was... Yeah, the, kinda the she decomposed. was kind of clothed.
0: It wasn't. It didn't sound to me like Somebody that was... It I, I just sounded to me like a kidnap and, and murder. It didn't sound like there was some, any sort of assault or anything based on how she was dressed.
1: I mean, her underwear and pants and shoes are missing, but they never like allude to anything right. being suspicious of and, anything happening. And keep
0: in mind, too, 1957 weren't even thinking of DNA at, at this point, so we don't want to disappoint <laughs> our listeners because our, our past couple of cases, we talked about DNA. Yeah. So they didn't even have anything... Um, to collect yeah that might have dna on it now
1: there's not going to be a whole lot of evidence right in this case this mm-hmm. is this is another fresh like i said this is mm-hmm. going to be a frustrating case yep sure is. it <laughs> is so her body is found and then that's kind of where it ends right for it's mm-hmm. going to be a while how many years is that 53 years go by right it's kind of like a cold case 53 mm-hmm. years go by and then June, June 29th, 2011, Jack McCullough is going to be arrested for the kidnapping and murder of Maria Ridulf in Seattle, where he had moved to Seattle, Washington. Then about another year goes by, September 14th, 2012. He is going to have a week long trial and he is convicted of murder, um, infant abduction and kidnapping.
0: All right. How do they get how do they get him? How do they key in on him? What where are we at now? Like, what happens in fifty two years? How do how do they come back to him?
1: Okay, so he has a girlfriend. It's his mom and the girlfriend.
0: All right, let maybe we need to back up. Yeah, and talk about his alibi. For, um, I think we skipped over that. Right. So okay. nineteen fifty seven.
1: So we mentioned. I mentioned that the police knocked on his door that night. Mm-hmm. He was not home that night. Right. His mom so they were looking for a johnny because kathy remember says to the police he told us his name was johnny Mm -hmm. so they're canvassing the neighborhood knocking on doors asking people if they know a johnny or if they saw a johnny and this kid's name happens to be john tessier at the time and so his mom answers the door and she hears this and i think she just kind of went into panic mode and was like my son's name is john like that's really close. He could go by as Johnny. So he, she just told the police that he was home with them. Um, And then the sisters knew that he was not. So the sisters are going to play into that a little bit later.
0: So w- but when didn't they talk about him being in because um, the dad said no, no, he he called. Right. So here's what gets confusing initially, because the dad said, no, he called me from Rockford, uh, Illinois, because he was. At the recruiter station, um, processing to go into the air force.
1: Yeah, so it it looks a little suspicious that like now the mom the, is lying. Did, did they know so that they in
0: 1957? Then
1: yes. Okay, I think he doesn't end up saying that because that's that's why it's a little suspicious to them. So that's when they bring like a lineup of no, the the lineup is different. They they have no, Kathy. They, they cleared him.
0: him. Right. So they they cleared him because they so between the mom and the dad and. And him not being there, they cleared him.
1: So she didn't identify. No, him until what they
0: did was they showed her all kinds of pictures. Here, they kept throwing pictures in front of her of, you know, delinquents mm. is probably the word they used in those days, <laughs> and she didn't identify anybody. However, they never put his picture in front of her. In front of her in, in 19- that's right. It was two thousand eleven. So, so that's okay. Mixed up. <laughs> so now, now we jump. Okay, so now okay. we're in two thousand eleven. How do they? How do they get to him?
1: So the mom, his mom, on her deathbed says he did it. I think he did it. He did it. I think that's all she said. She didn't really. She just says Jack did it. She doesn't really make mention of like what it is and then right she tells
0: the the younger daughter she says those girls those poor girls he did it something like that
1: yeah something to the effect of that Mm -hmm. then the sister firmly believes that he did it one of the sisters i think both the sisters Mm -hmm. believe that he did it so they take that information to the police and that's kind of where they start going through their his alibi and if he could have done it. And then at around that same time, a uh, ex girlfriend actually steps forward to Yeah, I think it was
0: actually the Sycamore police opened up or, or opened up the case at that point. So we there have we, we have the FBI, the state police. I'm not sure if the Calvary County sheriff's were involved, maybe. And then there's Sycamore police lot. department. Yes, there's all of them. I know we we would boy we're picking them right, huh? We just can't have a simple, straightforward <laughs> one. Yeah. This okay. Is, this so is a little crazy. Okay.
1: So the girlfriend, the mm-hmm. girlfriend gets involved. She's going the high school some girlfriend, things. right? Mm-hmm. She gets involved. She says, "Hey." To she, the police. I think she's just a witness. Yeah.
0: Got got interviewed at some point.
1: Into the, yeah, I didn't really find if I no at this p- at this point it, they
0: they went to her to interview her,
1: right? Okay. They were they were going to back. tell us about this guy. Yeah. So she goes through some old stuff and she finds a train ticket because the one of the original stories they wanted
0: a picture right and she
1: finds the train ticket and she goes oh this is a it was actually a government-issued train ticket because he was so part of his alibi was that he was up in rockford to he was enlisting in the military he he took Force, uh,
0: according to his alibi originally he took a a train Mm -hmm. to chicago and then got off and and went up to Rockford, rockford i guess rockford uh Somehow taxi. I can't remember what it, what it was. Taxi and Rockford is where the um, the processing station was, or the recruiter station to, to talk to them about processing and going to the the Air Force. Mm-hmm. It's kind of weird for me. It's seven o'clock at night. I think is what what they were talking about. Nineteen fifty seven. So so right. So now they're talking to the girlfriend in two thousand eleven, mm-hmm. and they're trying to get a picture from her. Hey, uh, do you have a picture from that time? Is they wanted like a p- a, a current picture? You know, it was. It that's all they wanted. And she says, hey, I also found this. He asked me to hold on to this, and it was the train ticket. That the, unused, the military had issued right, for him. Uh, unused train ticket. So, uh-oh, he's hiding something. Maybe he drove his car, and we he would have had time to maybe kidnap and abduct and kill her and, and, and right. then go also go to the recruiter station.
1: Right. Which, okay, so... Last week, we talked a lot about motive, and I know that motive is a big thing for you you guys, for law enforcement. So, what I don't understand is— Well, definitely for murder. Right. So, what I don't understand, though, is there's—they're not talking about a motive here. Why? Like, yeah, sure, he might have had the time, but why? If he's—the military is a really big thing to him. His family, like his father, his grandfather, whatever. So, why is a motive not a big thing in this case? why was, is it not important? There
0: was some other testimony, witness testimony, that he maybe had been given some other girls piggyback rides or maybe he assaulted another girl when she was younger, Um, pl- you know, playing around with the girls, the younger girls. Th- there was some testimony like that. So some some girls came forward. So it I, I think it probably led the police to believe that maybe he was – you know, maybe he was a pedophile. Maybe potentially. Um, so they were just working uh, under the that. Assumption yeah, and and and, that that was and again, 1957. So you know, police work was police work. So that motive, you know, to be honest with you, Hannah. Now I I need to go research that. How you know how important was motive then? They and because the, motive's important. Well, now, don't forget. Right? Yeah, right. In 2011. I mean, also, you know, the passion to close this case was incredible. Yeah. Too. So I I agree with you. Uh, they're lacking on the motive or uh, or they didn't it's not discussed much yeah anywhere and we'll, That's what we'll, I was we'll like, tell you why right
1: i was like mm, I, I, I mean i guess any w- under that like logic anyone our, could but have But one
0: of our previous cases that they, they consider it closed and and the guy was dead so they don't they'll never know motive right you know
1: right very true so okay so where are we at
0: Okay, so 2011. Right. So the the girlfriend. Oh, here's the plane tickets. And now the police are thinking that maybe he took a car. So he owned a car. Maybe he drove a car uh, to Rockford. You know, maybe he abducted, killed her, and drove a car to Rockford. Made that, made that phone call. It certainly looks that way to me. I mean, you, you know, that certainly is suggestive. Wait a minute. His alibi was he took a train to Chicago, got off at Rockford, and, mm-hmm. and now the train ticket is unused so that's definitely not weighing in his his favor right? Right. So
1: So now they want to talk to him. Now they want to find him. Mm -hmm. He is in Seattle so they send they uh, inform the Seattle Police Department all about the case. They fill them in and the Seattle Police Department feels that there is enough for them to bring him in and question him. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is like a two and a half hour two hour interview. Yep. And they talk to him and that's where he kind of clears up what it is. So do you want to go over what he says his new alibi like how he accounted for that train ticket? Yeah, go ahead. He tells them Okay,
0: so r- right. So right, I, I, I no, obviously I think so some of the police from Illinois went up to Washington too to um uh, to coordinate and to discuss or or they obviously they gave him some information and you know because yeah
1: the so. when, well what i read is that they just called them and told them yeah about they it gave in all the information so yeah, they, they, yeah, they yeah, weren't yeah.
0: going in cold the seattle police department no
1: that's what i said all right okay <laughs> not listening <laughs> so they inform him or they inform the seattle police department they go up there they bring him in to question him it's like two and a half hour interview and he clears up the l- confusion about his alibi so what he says is that Yes, he was given that train ticket from the military, the government to uh, get him up to the recruiting station. But he ended up getting a ride either from his dad or from somewhere else. I think it was from someone else. He got a ride up to Rockford and he is up there and he actually makes a phone call at about 6.57 p.m. It's a like three minute, two minute phone call. Yes. Asking, uh, calling his dad to come pick him up in Rockford. That is his alibi. That is what he explains it away as.
0: Mm-hmm. E- that's pretty consistent. You know, there's a little bit, a few pieces here and there missing. Here's, so I have the charging sheet from um, Seattle Police Department. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, first of all, it's poorly written, but um, it grammatically. <laughs> so it says, John was asked to explain his whereabouts on the evening of December 3rd, 1957. He told the agents that he was trying to enlist in the Army and had been in Rockford, Illinois. He said that he, he had gone to Chicago, Illinois, to take a physical examination. He claimed that he had been given a train ticket from Rockford to Chicago. And this is a little bit different, too, right? So, mm. And that is how he got there. During that, a spot was discovered on his lung, which threatened his eligibility to serve. He told the recruiters uh, that this was a lifelong condition and steps were taken to confirm this and uh, accept him into the military this is all this is all stuff that can be <laughs> verified so right. i don't i don't find anything where the police actually went and pulled those records they the fbi did go and mm-hmm. and interview a person he allegedly had, had talked to yeah doesn't it uh,
1: say that he came in contact with a bunch of military personnel right
0: yes so okay let's back up for a second i want to make sure i didn't get it wrong so he's saying here That they gave him, he had to get to Rockford, and they gave him a a train ticket from Rockford to Chicago. Is that what we thought the the train ticket was, or was it?
1: I thought that. So the train ticket that she had, I was under the impression that it was from Sycamore to to Chicago. Yeah, that's what I thought
0: too. So, so it
1: sounds like he got to Chicago on his own.
0: He said that he that the train arrived in Rock. See this. this, Listen this. This this is what I'm saying. This is what a a, a cop wrote. This Mm -hmm. apparently. He said that the train arrived in Rockford at six forty-five p.m. Wait a minute. He just said. (laughs) Didn't he just say that um, they gave him, they gave a train ticket from Rockford to Chicago, Mm -hmm. and now he says he said so probably on the way back then is what he's saying. Okay, so uh, so he ride back in Rockford at six forty-five.
1: Wait, if they gave him a train ticket on the way back, why? Yeah, it it must have been a
0: round round trip ticket. Do you see what I'm saying? This is not written yeah. very well. This is... Um, uh, and I don't know. Maybe it's not written by the cop. Maybe it's written by somebody who's translating the notes that the cop wrote.
1: Is that done? Is uh, that
0: he went He went to the recruiting station to give them a piece of paper that the medical staff had given him, but found the office closed. So that's at Rockford. Oh, yeah. you know
1: what make would make sense to me mm-hmm. is that he had to detour because then he had to go back because they found that spot on his left. Right. So then he had to go back.
0: Right. So and a
1: detour would make sense.
0: He, he then went to a payphone located near the post office and made a collect call to his stepfather Ralph asking that Ralph come pick him up. He said that he then called his girlfriend at the time and made a date to meet with her at about 9 p.m. So her, her testimony comes into play later too and they don't one of the things in the appeals is that uh, that they got it wrong what she said she didn't confirm that she met with him that night right. but they also put words in her mouth as well okay so so that's that's what he's saying so
1: still a little confusing but it kind of does explain the you know the lost train ticket
0: right, right. so here's it kind of puts more I- here's what this what this charging sheet says. So the girlfriend's name is, is blocked out of this. Mm-hmm. Was interviewed by investigators. She said that she didn't remember seeing John on the evening of December 3rd. And in fact, she said her parents would not let her out of the house that night because of the missing girl and fear that someone was around kidnapping people. That she she says that's not true. That's not what she said. That Her, pa- her hmm. parents, yeah, so... It's not really relevant but it it just it doesn't help when you when the bad guy's trying to appeal
1: so yeah, so it looks like she lied or
0: no I no, 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 it looks like the the, the cops the, somebody misconstrued her words even though it's not really re- she about her parents not letting her out she said that that was not true about her parents not letting her out mm, okay uh in 2010 she was interviewed again and detected this is when they got the photo right so detectives mm-hmm. discussed john's use of her as an alibi for his whereabouts detect- detectives asked for a photograph and that's when she came out with the, a photo and also the the train ticket okay so that that's where we're at all right
1: yeah so september 2012 that's mm-hmm. where we're at now is the trial where he's convicted this is when i was talking about kathy and that lineup
0: okay so this is so, this so is was question. it 2010 so it was before the trial so i think it was right. around 2010 so 2011, 2011 same, right, th- same time 2012, Yeah. so they go and and she's uh 50 s- no no she's 60 something well, how old was she they're reinvestigating this mm-hmm. right and we're not quite at the trial yet so 2010 11 uh, they, do, they get Kathy, and this is like 53 years later now. She was eight years old. Now she's in her 60s, and they're going to give her a lineup. They're going to go to her house, and they're going to say, we want you to view some bad guys.
1: We'll get a lineup. Right. So the lineup that they give her, though, they take a picture of like the yearbook from her graduating class is what it sounded like, so kids, guys that she had gone to school with. Um. So all of those pictures are all uniform. They're all in a black background and they're all wearing mm-hmm. those black coach, which, by the way, side note, even back in the 50s, they were still doing that for seniors.
0: No, that's. That's that's, that's always been a thing. In the 50s, yeah.
1: That they've uh, senior pictures have always been taking like taken Learning like Like what? With the everyone wearing the same coat and everyone wearing the same like sh- dress. Yours over. wasn't like that. Yes, my senior pictures. What'd all, you wear? You, uh, they gave me that little uh thing that made it look like I was wearing a black dress, and every other girl in our senior oh class yeah had the same no pictures.
0: no ours wasn't like that. I yeah, had a so suit and one. tie, but no. Yeah. Right.
1: So they're all wearing the same mm-hmm. suit. I I just thought that was <laughs> interesting.
0: Yeah, it's funny that because that's not. But the pro- so in the fifties. They probably dress like that every day. Oh. We we dress like that for class pictures. photos, yeah. and that was it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Side note: I just thought that was interesting. I had a
0: nice three piece suit.
1: <laughs> Nerd.
0: <laughs> <laughs> With one of those tie ta, tie bars they had. The tie bars It was really cool. Went through Did you wear it yeah. when you guys had football games. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs>
1: so anyway, so do do do. Where was because I? Okay. So the lineup. So they. The lineup. Okay. So they take the picture of the yearbook mm-hmm. pictures, right? Like I said, they're all uniform. And then they throw in Jack McCullough's from the time, which, again, he was John Tessier at the time. Yep. And his from, from picture, that time, yep. he was expelled from the school. So he doesn't have a senior yearbook picture from that school. The picture they throw in is just him on a white background. Okay, right. So she picks him out. So here's how they're doing this,
0: the, the way it's explained. So they have six six uh, photos, mm-hmm. right? That's how you do a lineup. And they picked five other boys from high school, like, as you said from the photo, and they went like this: one, two. And as soon as they put his down, she pointed right to him and says, "That's the guy." Mm. But like you said, his what's going to be ch- that's going to be challenged later because his picture is different. And so he lived right around the corner from the girls. Right? Mm-hmm. The other boys in the lineup, they did not live in the neighborhood. So, so that that prejudice prejudices the um the the lineup. There's right. Some serious specific rules about that, about Does how you say, do aren't it. Aren't
1: there rules that you guys have to follow?
0: Yeah, there's when you're doing a lineup, you have to, you know, similar dress, similar height, weight, and all that, all that kind of stuff. Similar backgrounds. But exactly, if, if you know, it, they didn't. Part of the argument was that she wouldn't have recognized anybody. Like he, you know, you should have had a couple people from the neighborhood at, at least in there. Um, but yeah, when you. Black suit and tie, black suit and tie, black suit and tie. Oh, what's this one? He's the guy. So, mm-hmm. and, and he argues in the appeal that that was not correct because, um, you know, she. This is fifty three years later, really, because previously she didn't identify anybody. But if you remember, they didn't they never put a picture of him in front of her. So
1: yeah, I was gonna say, I don't really think I believe if I was sitting on a jury. I don't think I would look at someone in their late 60s who was eight years old at the time this happened and necessarily necessarily believe that they remember who they're picking out. That's just me. I just I, I don't know that I believe anyone has that great of memory. So that would be hard for me. As a jury, like for the prosecution to present because again, remember, there's no DNA. This is really all they have, so it has to be like well, it, it was tight. actually
0: so it was actually held up through the appeals court as 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 being okay. And there's some previous case law, uh, and then I think what it boils down to in legalese is, you know, the the credibility of witness testimony lies within the trier of the facts. You know, the the court, the, the jury, and mm-hmm. Fifty-three years gone by is not necessarily a, a, a way to disprove mm-hmm. credibility. So it was Surprising. actually it was held up. However, it, it's well at the end here in a minute when we when we talk about it, it it's the one thing that the uh, state's attorney actually says was just an unfortunate mistake or something like that. Right. Okay.
1: Which I mean is an amazing thing that she did anyway. After fifty-three years for her to have to go through this mm-hmm. again all these years later, I'm not saying anything. You know, negative. Mm. I just, in normal circumstances.
0: All right. So that's what happened. So she, so they got the girlfriend. They got her now saying he's the guy. They got the the train ticket debacle.
1: Right. There is also some.
0: Oh, they're interviewing. So Seattle police are interviewing them.
1: So there is some, you guys can go and actually watch this interview. This is out there. This interview from the Seattle Police Department. What I was reading is that the police, when they were in- interrogating him and then even the police in Illinois, when they get back to him and they actually see the footage, they make claims that he was saying, like, she was such a lovely, lovely little girl. Like, they say that she, he was talking about her in a very, like, perverse way, but then when you go back and, like, watch the video and you hear him talk and... One of the arguments f- in the appeal is that that's not actually what he said. So one of the arguments is that the police were kind of twisting his words, like you said earlier, and they were kind of putting words in his mouth, moving around the things like with the girlfriend is kind of what the accusation is going to be.
0: What interview was that? What interview was So it?
1: that's in Seattle when the Seattle Police Department goes to get him.
0: Okay. So you're saying that's online that people can go right, see. Right, you can go see. Okay. It. You yep. can
1: you can watch that. I f- believe it's on YouTube, but it's up there. Okay, you can actually watch it.
0: All right, right. So they they didn't get a confession, but they're they're getting things that are just not you know because remember they're he said acting. He was acting weird, right? They
1: said he was acting just not right,
0: and they're acting on what the other police officers have told them from Illinois and so it's now a little biased so well i mean what are you gonna do i mean police the police yeah, so then so then they believe they had probable cause to make the arrest at that point so the judge issues the arrest warrant again based on what later will be determined to be you know information that they, that they had there was no you know intent or anything to to frame this guy up. but but you're right but it, it does Yeah, it's a little fishy. Right. And, you know, his background, I didn't like it. Yeah, so, okay.
1: Right. Okay, so we kind of gave a little hint as to what's going to happen. I do that
0: every week, don't I?
1: (laughs) It's okay. I think I do it, too. We get so excited about it. Not excited, but... Then in November of 2012, so a couple months later, Richard Schmack... Schmack, I think I am pronouncing that correctly. Again, I'm really bad with names, guys. I'm sorry. He is elected to state's attorney of... Del Del Decalb Decalb County
0: Decalb County. <laughs> County. So
1: he is going to be important. A lot of this information that I was seeing from this case is going to come from him. Then in 2015, he commissions a six-month review of the evidence because he, when he is put in to that position, he mm-hmm. immediately he doesn't think that this guy did
0: it. Yeah, right? there was a lot of pressure. There's a lot of motions right. by by. Uh, this guy uh, oh. to to dismiss it. It goes up to the to the appeals court and the state supreme court, etc.
1: So that is in that doesn't it doesn't say like what time frame. I'm guessing it's at like the beginning of the the year. But then in March of 2016, he agrees that Jack McCullough should be released. He agrees that he is should be and considered an innocent man. He agrees that there is enough here that is that provides reasonable doubt. I'm trying uh, to think of those words. Right.
0: So y- right, so there's some documents out there. Let me tell you what they are. So he filed some documents with the court and it is people's answer to defendant pro se petition under 735 ILCS 5-2-1401. Mm-hmm. So this is basically a, a sort of a summary and and timeline and there's some attachments um so and then there's timeline support and documents uh about everything so they did a thorough review these okay. we'll we'll have our the sources uh posted on yes, this i'm gonna put up everything uh, on this podcast so you you can go and pull the the court document but also he he did a press release in march march twenty fifth of two thousand sixteen and he does a press release essentially it's about a three page thing and it and it and it talks um it, it talks about things. That it mm-hmm. talks about the timeline, right? Mm-hmm. So basically all the... So he reviewed the reports of investigation, the court, the appeals, but he also reviewed FBI evidence. So there was a lot of, a lot of documents that were suppressed that weren't allowed, that, that the defense could not bring into the court, and a lot of it was in the FBI's possession. Mm-hmm. So he reviewed everything. Every, all he called it new informa- uh, new evidence. Mm-hmm. Evidence is, just was not allowed to uh, be brought into court for whatever reason, and because the defendant was saying that everything is based on hearsay, circumstantial evidence, and decades-old recollections, mm-hmm. right? So, and so for starters, he talks about the timeline, and in the timeline we gave you is the timeline that they end up with, and. They, he says, it just is impossible for the defendant to be, y- you know, have been making that phone call at six. What do we say? It was six fifty-seven to six fifty-nine p.m. They, they had since got records from uh, Bell, uh, Illinois Bell, uh, the telephone, the telephone company. You probably don't know what a telephone company is. Huh? You probably think Verizon is it. Right? Yes, I know what a telephone <laughs> company is. We uh, had there were. In and
1: base housing, you remember there right. was like a phone on the wall,
0: and he and he says Not that, that young. the call was placed from a payphone at the post office in downtown Rockford, mm-hmm. and because somebody somewhere along the line somebody said, well, where was the payphone? C- sometimes it could be on the outskirts, and and mm-hmm. and he's saying no, it 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 was thirty five miles away, and they're saying, look, okay, let. And they even speculate. Let's let's say it was six thirty. Let's go with the the earliest possible time that she was abducted, six thirty. They say that it would be impossible to drive it in twenty minutes, and he would have to go hundred miles an hour for the entire trip. And it was snowing out, et cetera. Right. So that was a that was one of the main main things, um, you know. And, and they talk about the the photo lineup, uh, you know. this is what's important about the photo. He said, the photos were displayed by an officer who knew which photo was the suspect, a practice now outlawed in Illinois. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, So he could have, the way he slid the photo, the way he put it down, the way he said something could have, the way he said his name could have kind of tipped her.
0: You know, it's a pretty good document to read. It spells it it all out if you want the clip notes. Um, You know, but essentially, uh, You know, and in the final, in his final document here, the one to the court, he says that it should be vacated. In his conclusion, he wrote, The demonstrated pattern of clearly inaccurate testimony, intended or otherwise, and misleading presentations to two grand juries and two judges in two states, all shielded by an erroneous ruling which barred any effective impeachment at trial, borders on remarkable. It, it essentially says unfair treatment; and it should be vacated. So, like unfair trial, right? So, that's that's the final ruling. Uh, I don't know if there was something else you wanted to add on that, but that's he he put that in the, in a. I mean, this is a pretty big press release; it's three pages right. long. So that that was the final ruling. And it
1: I mean, it the only thing I wanted to quickly point out is uh, the six fifty seven to six fifty nine phone call. Mm-hmm. If you recall, we talked about a neighbor hearing a little girl scream. Now, I mean, there's no way of knowing that that was her screaming at the time, but I think that would be kind of compelling evidence at six fifty nine and seven o'clock is one minute right. away.
0: So there's no, there's no DNA evidence. So it's not like they can go, um, you know, yep. test DNA. They exhumed,
1: right, they the did body, her body. A,
0: a couple times, and. In 2011, I believe. No, yeah, they did it twice. Yeah. And the the, se- the first time, the autopsy was inconclusive. The second time, they— Okay, so here's what all the news outlets will report, that there was a, a stabbing. The autopsy report actually says that there was a stabbing event. Mm-hmm. You know, so—but uh, there was no DNA extracted. There was no clothing or anything with, with DNA on it. There was no other evidence— a- at all there's no way to tell really you know some sort of stabbing event that i mean there's no way to tell how she died so there's no other evidence other than witness testimony and, and the the bad guy saying that you know this is all erroneous this is hearsay you know 50 years later uh, the, the guy's mom on a, on her deathbed and you know then you know they had it, so just it just it, it just They don't have much else to go on.
1: So there is also a Dr. Phil episode Mm -hmm. because his siblings firmly believe that he committed this crime and they go on to Dr. Phil, which I didn't know Dr. Phil did cases like this. But
0: here's okay. here's listen
1: to me, the family for me, seeing the family being so like headstrong about he did this. That's crazy. That's kind of damning evidence, I think, right. for me. And the family is like...
0: Ugh. Yeah, and here's, here's the thing that's weird for me, right? So it, it, this is what he says in his press release, the, um, the, the Calp County State's Attorney. It is well known to professional prosecutors that the identification of strangers from fro- photo arrays, even within a few days of the event, is among the least reliable forms of evidence. It has probably led to more wrongful convictions than any other factor.
1: You guys, like as we get more into this podcast, we're going to do more cases and we're going to talk. You're going to hear me talk about it. But that infuriates me so much that... Witness testimony. Because is that true that also witness testimony, like testimony in general, is unreliable? That's what I've always heard. I don't know if that's true on TV. The
0: the longer the the more time that goes by, the less reliable the eyewitness count is.
1: Right. So in a lot of these cases people are getting put away on witness testimony on these lineups and
0: so they're they're saying here's what here's what gets me on this. Mm -hmm. So You found your point. (laughs) Yeah. So they say they say that that's that's important mm-hmm. but yet the one thing they they allow is the the time frame uh, the, the time the time frame they they give reasons why this time is accurate that's uh, all uh, witness uh, testimony right it's all witness testimony and they that's talk about cases they talk about uh, you know what the parents w- 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 were on tv so how they would would know and they can check that what was on tv and then there was an individual at at, at the a gas station it, yeah. and and his watch or something so mm-hmm. So they're relying on those people's testimony. And uh, Kathy. And, and, and Kathy, well, originally. He yeah. I'm talking about him. He now says her testimony is no good. Mm. However, the people that tell us what time oh, they started to do things. Oh, using this. Yeah, 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 yeah I see what That's what, yeah. that's, that's what kind of gets me there. I'm not really sure I'm yeah. comfortable with, with, with that time frame. Because well,
1: it, it works for him. Right. It's in so. favor of him. Yeah, that that me. Infuri- well, but the prosecutor...
0: Me is what I'm saying, is is accepting all that. So, okay.
1: Okay. This next part, I'm going to break it down a little bit fast, and we'll go over it. Then in April 15th, so it's April 15th, 2016, so another year later, Jack McCullough is released from prison when a judge agrees with the evidence Mm -hmm. and says that, yeah, he could not have committed this crime. Yeah, it was vacated, yep. Right, so then on about a week later, on the 22nd of 2016, it's April, uh, so... This was my question. It says that Richard Schmack actually dismissed the charge. That's what I read. So he's the what is he's state state attorney. attorney. So is that like the DA? He he can do that. Yeah. So he's the prosecutor. But but
0: it's already been to court. So he had he had to. At this point, he can't dismiss charges because he's already been convicted. And and, but what he does, everything I read said that they were dismissed. I I just remember I read that that uh, he essentially petitioned the court. He wrote a um a report to the to the court so you guys this is why we have an expert to explain these things (laughs) the answer to the motion for relief from judgment has been filed along with a report disclosing evidence to the court and defendant under illinois rules of professional conduct Uh, so so that's what it was so So he essentially just like
1: petitioned them to to yeah. dismiss them. Yeah, he sent right, he okay, official documents, okay.
0: uh, official p- uh, documents to the court saying uh, this my office thinks this is wrong and then he did a press release and said this this is not not correct. You should uh, uh, assign him a public defender and take the, take care of this. So okay. so then the ju- then he the judge so essentially his motion for relief the judge met it and and said right. okay, we're going to we're going to go with what the prosecutor said because he was tasked with with this. Yeah. The judge says hey, look into this and get back to me. So he got back to him and he said, this is wrong. And then the judge says, okay, you're released. We vacate it.
1: Okay. So then that's where we're at. So then another year later, April 2017, this is just a few years ago, Mm -hmm. uh, William Brady, who is a judge, he gave Jack McCullough a certificate of innocence, Hmm. which that allows him to then file lawsuits. So that same month, he filed a federal lawsuit for his wrongful conviction Mm -hmm. against Illinois and Seattle, which I thought was interesting.
0: Yeah, they're not. He's probably not going to win against Seattle. He did. Really?
1: He did last year. Last year he won. July of last year he won. So Illinois? Really? They just acted
0: upon what you know information,
1: which I thought was interesting because it was saying that like okay, so. He was able to file that lawsuit against Seattle, mm-hmm. but because it had been more than three years that the police officers who interrogated him, mm-hmm. arrested him, whatever, in Seattle, they cannot be reprimanded or get in trouble or lose their, like, like let's right. say they got, like, a pay raise within that three yeah. years. They get to keep that. They get, nothing's going to happen to them because it's been more than three years. Mm-hmm. So he was able to file the lawsuit and he won, but nothing was really going to okay. be done. So he Sycamore, Illinois settled that year for three hundred and fifty thousand. So that's in two thousand seventeen. Twenty twenty, the city of Seattle settled for three hundred thousand. And then July of last year, the state of Illinois settled for three million nine hundred and seventy five thousand. And then they also gave him a ninety five thousand dollars in compensation, which I thought was the same thing. So he got a lot of money I mean, from yeah. both states and the All right. the town.
0: It's a, it's a sad sad case because they they don't now. Yeah. here's one one of his good piece of news. So the, uh, it, on, um, in March of 2016, when Schmack put this letter out to the press, the same day he got a letter addressed to him that potentially ided a new suspect, and he turned that over to the police immediately, and that's that's where it there's there. no more information about about that so that was five years ago mm-hmm. i i would i would have thought that you know if that was a good lead they would have probably had it by now so yeah so that's that's the last piece of information we have from from their office
1: yeah so that's i mean it's rough because uh her family mm-hmm. maria's maria's family believes that he did yeah
0: this is a tough one
1: so it is tough but I do have a place uh, if you guys, you know, if anyone has any information, you can email. There's an email info number. So it's isp.crimetips at illinois.gov. You can email any tips or information that you have about this case. You can also call 1-800-222-8477, which is, it ends up being 1-800-222-TIPS All right. with and any this, information. And
0: this is probably going to be somebody who's sitting around... You know maybe our age between you know my age in their forties fifties, and maybe they have an uncle, an older brother, an older sister, or maybe a story was passed down in in the family, or maybe they have m- maybe they're some sort of relationship or they went to a yard sale and they bought a box <laughs> or something, and they have information that that's what's yeah. gonna that's what's gonna uh, come come forward i mean nobody i I don't know <laughs> Our lesson is go share the story. I don't know if they're gonna know, but you never know who 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 has a relationship, who's from this area, and who again has an uncle, older brother, or yeah. somebody, grandfather, or somebody that knows the story and can point in the right direction. So this would okay. be a
1: case that would be it would be wonderful if there was DNA, because then it could potentially you know be oh, yeah. like they would have went the there years
0: ones. ago, right? So, yeah. So okay. this
1: unfortunately, but yeah, if you guys have any information, know anything. I will also put that email and phone number up on our Instagram. So Mm -hmm. I'll have that available for you guys to go uh, write that down, send it to someone.
0: All right. Another one down. Awesome. Yep. Good job.
1: Thank you guys so much for listening and sticking with us each week. We are really enjoying talking to you guys. Essentially. (laughs) We're enjoying our conversations and getting to share them with everyone. If you are enjoying this as much as we are please rate and review our podcast on Apple podcast we really love all the feedback just hearing from you guys so please please do that help us get out there get a little bit more attention we can share it with more people grow the family and then you can also do that on anchor.fm as well as follow us on Instagram at true crime archives podcast for more behind the scenes and updates and we will see you guys next week next week later